You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. Hello. Um, I'm going to be reading on Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4. It says... <clears throat> If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for today, and thank you for letting us be able to come to Enclave to... Uh, worship you and we thank you for letting us um, be able to celebrate um, Christmas for letting you send um, your son down so he can just help us and thank you for today amen I just I made that up okay so um, I just didn't even really sound that believable. I just assigned a, a statistic to kind of a random fact and presented it as if it was true. But that's kind of the thing about statistics, right? I mean, 75% of all statistics are made up. <laughs> that, that's actually a joke, uh, although might be. Anyway, you wouldn't be able to verify it either way, but we'll, we'll, we'll call it a lie. Uh, either way, those were both lies, and, and we're going to talk about lies here in a minute, but before we do that, I want to go back to talking about waffles and pancakes, because I am a person who loves, loves to cook. Uh, it's one of my, my joys in life, and, and specifically, I really love making breakfast. My, my Sunday morning routine kind of goes something like this. I, I, I'm an early riser, so I'm up before everybody else, and I, I take the time in the morning to read the Bible, have coffee, and pray. And once I'm finished with that, um, everybody's still asleep, uh, so I'll begin making breakfast. And uh, as, as I'm doing that, occasionally uh, Jonah will get up. He's usually the next one up, and sometimes he'll want to help me, which is messy but sweet. And, um, <laughs> and other times uh, I, I just finish up and, and I'm done, and, and as the kids get up, they'll, they'll say, Dad, what's for breakfast? And I feel like right now the, the, the answer that's the best answer is muffins. But, uh, but today, and uh, like many days, it's waffles. The waffles are my favorite thing to make. I've been working really hard for years to perfect my waffle recipe. Uh, and I think I've got it down pretty good. I feel like today's came out pretty good this morning, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, but recently, uh, I was making waffles, and I, I had been kind of preparing the sermon and working on it, and I, I asked myself a question I said, what, what does it mean for me to seek the things above or, or, or to set my mind on things above while I'm just making waffles? Right? And, and God actually gave me some pretty cool answers, and, and I'll share them with you here in a little bit. But, but I, I actually kind of discovered something. God, God kind of revealed something over time after asking that question, and that is that I have for a long time sort of believed a lie about myself. Maybe not consciously. It was kind of something that just kind of was there. But I, I, I've, I've believed for a long time uh, that I actually have two lives. Like that I, I have this, this one life where I'm a Christian. Like I do these Christian things. Like, like get up in the morning and pray. And 
um, and read the Bible. And I, I go to church every Sunday, right? And I am involved in sort of ministry activities and Bible studies and things like that. But then once that's over, then I just got to go back to doing my regular stuff, right? My, my regular life. And, and that's actually a pretty serious, dangerous lie to believe, right? Because if I have a, a, a different life, a second life, then I'm far more likely to, to stray or, or to be susceptible to sin. And, and if, I, if I believe that, I, I may also feel the need to kind of tip the scales. Like maybe I, I'll have to work really hard to, to do extra Christian things so that I'm, I'm more Christian than secular, and then maybe then I can kind of earn God's favor and feel like I've done a good job as a Christian and... And that's not, that's not right. It's not true. I, I, I don't have two lives, right? And so how do, I, how do I confront that lie? Well, I do it in a, in a very similar way that, that Paul does in the book of Colossians. See, Paul, when he writes this letter to the Colossian church, he's, he's actually addressing a lie. He's addressing heresy or, or, or a, a different types of lies that are happening to the people in the Colossian church, and, and they're, they're seeping, and they're just kind of starting to bring back these things that, that maybe were once true or, or that they, they believe were practice, old practices, and, and he, he addresses them by bringing up the truth. That's what, kind of one of a, a big thing I want you to take away. We confront the lies with the truth. See, for me, I, I don't have two lives. I have one life in union with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. Or in our text today, I have died and my life is hidden with Christ. So I have a union with Christ that cannot be broken. So I have to remember that if I'm faced with this lie that there's two lives. I remember and I go back to the truth. And we have, to, we have to hold tightly to these truths because we have a real enemy. We have an enemy who wants to confront us with lies. He, he seeks to devour us. 1 Peter 5.8 says he prowls like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And the way that he wants to do that is he wants to lead us astray. Get us away from the pack where we're vulnerable so he can attack us. And the primary way, or at least one of the primary ways that the devil's going to attack us is with lies, with deceit. There's a book I recently read. I, I definitely would recommend it to you. It's, it's called Live No Lies. It's by John Mark Comer. He's a pastor up in Portland, Oregon. And, and he kind of explains the way that the devil's lies kind of play out or, or, or work. Uh, in his words, the devil uses deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires that become normalized in a sinful society. So let me kind of flesh that out for you. The lies that the devil tells us are going to sound true. They're not going to be kind of crazy notions. They're going to sound very believable. That's where the deception comes in. They're going to play to your disordered desires. Like you're going to want these things to be true. 
It's kind of the same way that he's going to use temptation, right? He's not going to lure you away with like broccoli and onion flavored ice cream, right? No, it's going to be, it's going to be the good stuff, the things that you want. You're going to want his lies to be true. They're going to sound true. And everyone around you is going to support that these things are right and good and true. In the media, wherever you look, those lies are going to be like, yeah, yeah, of course that's right. It's just, it's just the way things are. But we got to hold tight and confront those truths, those lies with the truth. See, we all have different lies that maybe we're likely to believe. Mine, I shared with you about maybe having two lives, but maybe yours are different. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you're struggling with believing that you can be loved or forgiven. Or maybe you feel like you're not good enough. Or, or, or maybe it's something that you don't even necessarily think about consciously, but you're like, I, I don't know that God really hears me when I pray because I ask for things and it kind of seems like nothing happens. Or, or maybe the lies aren't, aren't quite like that for you. Maybe they're, they're more cultural. Right? We have a lot of those that, that kind of surround us all of the time. We, we believe like, without even thinking about it, we believe that uh, in order for me to find fulfillment, contentment, or happiness, then we have to have the right things or have looked a certain way or act a certain way, be a certain person, have the right friends. Like, we, we believe those lies kind of subconsciously, right? And, and we have to understand that they are lies. See, these, these are what we call false stories, beliefs that these things are what we need. And the false stories, I want you to hear this today, False stories are going to promise you life, but they'll ultimately lead to death. The truth, the gospel, promises death, but ultimately brings life. So we got to remember the truth. So my plan for the rest of our, our time this morning is going to look like this. We're going, to, we're going to talk a little bit about the book of Colossians, kind of give you a, a little bit of a historical context for the book. We'll look a little bit at a, a summary of the, maybe the literary context that leads to our text. And then we're going to talk about these two points. We're going to look at what is the truth, and then what do we do about it. Okay? So that's our plan for this morning. Sound good? Everybody doing all right? All right. So uh, Book of Colossians written by Paul uh, to a church that he did not plant. So he's, uh, he's the pastor or the, the founder of the, the church of Ephesus, and while there he meets and disciples a man named Epaphras. And Epaphras goes off and he starts the church in Colossae. And while this church uh, starts and grows and is doing well, uh, the, the church members start bringing in other things back into their church that they believe are important. Now, I'm not going to go in too much detail about what the Colossian heresy was because uh, there's a, a number of things that were happening uh, but I'll, I'll give you kind of a quick, quick brief overview. So uh, they, they believed in some uh, elements of Jewish legalism, right? So they felt like they still had to follow food laws and, and have festivals, and those things were necessary for their salvation. There was also, because there was a mix of Jews and Gentiles, there was some, some Greek philosophies and, and belief that you had to 
worship angels. There was some uh, elements of like feeling like you needed to, to give yourself like self-harm or denial in order to reach holiness. And there, there was a lot, a lot going on there. But um, Epaphras is like, whoa, this is, this is more than I know what to do with. So he, he goes to Paul and he's like, bro, this is crazy. I don't know what I should do. And Paul says, I'm going to write a letter. And so he writes the church a letter, sends it with Tychicus to uh, the church, and, and that's kind of how the letter came to be. And so that's, that's kind of where the letter came from. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what it looks like uh, as we lead up to our text. So Paul starts off the letter uh, the way he often does, by introducing himself, says, I'm an apostle. And he says his grace and peace thing. And then he says, uh, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. We, we want you to know that uh, we're, we're asking God to, to bless your church and to, to be with you, and, and we, we pray that you'll grow and that he'll strengthen you. And then he says, we want you to, to be rooted in the truth, your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what's important. And he says, it's really important that you're not deceived by these lies, this, this heresy that's creeping into your church. That's not what matters. These things, he refers to them as, as a shadow of things. The substance is in Christ. That's what matters. So don't get caught up in all of this other stuff. Because some of them are, are, are blatant lies. Some of them are, are things that are outdated in light of what Jesus Christ has done. Focus and remember the truth in Jesus. So that's kind of where, where it leads us to uh, our first point, which is, what is the truth? The truth, of course, in it being Jesus Christ. So to, to illustrate that, Paul, back in, in chapter 1, he quotes uh, a hymn or, or a poem that was written, and, and I feel like if that's the best way Paul thought to demonstrate or illustrate who Jesus was, uh, I think it's probably the best way I could do it as well. So what I want to do, uh, if you will, uh, turn to uh, chapter 1, verse 15. I'm going to read this uh, together with you. Starting in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. I think back to Hebrews 1, right? He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He is the firstborn of all creation. That word firstborn, it's not birth order, it's rank. He's number one of all creation. For, in, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. John 1, right? In the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, supreme, above all. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Some of your translations may have the word bodily. In the flesh, all the fullness of God dwelled in him and through him to reconcile to himself 
all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then Paul turns his attention to you. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There's three truths that I want you to remember about Jesus this morning. One, he is the creator and sustainer of all things. Two, he is number one. He is the king. He is Lord and Savior over everything. And the third, he is the redeemer. His death is reversing the effects of the fall and reconciling all things back to himself. That is your truth. Jesus is king right now. And there's nothing in any of our lives that doesn't fall under his lordship. We can trust that. We can, we can have that be our true north in everything we do. Jesus is king. And, and we need that. We need to remember that. We need to have that, that focus and that, that eternal mindset in everything we do in order to see our lives rightly right now. Like you, you maybe have heard people say that term that someone's um, so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, right? So that's, the opposite is true. In order for us to have a true understanding of our reality, we have to see it through an eternal outlook and who Jesus is, and that is our truth. We need to hold on to those truths to defend ourselves against the lies of the enemy. Brings us to our second point. What do we do? What do we do with this truth? We all have different places that we're in in our lives right now, right? Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, things are good. Life is good right now. Healthy and job's going well and family's good. And maybe this, this holiday season for you is especially a good time of year. And you're just so looking forward to all of the good things that are to come and the presents and the, the getting together with family and the food. And it's just this wonderful time of joy. Praise God for that. I think that the way that we can set our minds on things that are above there is by remembering that, that all of this falls under the lordship of Jesus. And, and he is... He's making all things new, and, and all of this comes from him. I'm going to pause for a second because uh, I forgot to actually talk about our text this morning. So probably important uh, that we go through that together. So our text is, is Colossians 3, um, starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, so it could also be therefore since you've been raised with Christ. So in light of everything we've talked about so far, seek the things that are above. Seek first the kingdom of God. Put all of your energy, put your focus on the things that are above where Christ is seated in his position of power. 
Set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. These, these things of earth that we're talking about, these, these earthly things, they're the, the lies that we believe. They're the things that we feel are important that are no longer relevant. Think about all of these things that the Colossian church was dealing with. Those are the earthly things. Paul, Paul refers to them as elemental spirits. So the idea of that is that there are these things that, that most of us just generally believe to be true, but the gospel turns them upside down. Think about like um, things like everybody should get what they deserve, right? The gospel says no. The grace of God, you get mercy, right? So seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. You know, the, these earthly things that we, we kind of deal with, they, they sometimes, they just seem so logical that we, we miss something. Like I think about how, Remember when Peter confronts Jesus because he's talking about how he's going to die? And he's like, what? No. And Jesus rebukes him. He says, get behind me, Satan. You aren't setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. We have to look at our life rightly through the lens of the gospel and who Jesus is. So now we can go back to uh, being practical. So I talked about maybe things are good and you can, you can recognize that, that all of that falls under the grace of God. But the lie there or the earthly way of thinking about things would be that this is what it's all about, right? I, I have all the things that I need. This is where happiness comes from. This is what it's all about. Like, no, these, these things are, are a vapor, but they're also, they also point to God's goodness and, and what he has coming for you. Because when Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll appear with him in glory, and you get to experience a little bit of that now. And maybe you're, maybe you're here this morning, and like, things aren't good. Or maybe you're really, really struggling with some things. Maybe things didn't quite work out the way you thought they would, and you thought you'd be in a better place. And, and maybe you're dealing with some, some health concerns or some, some financial difficulties that you can't even figure out what, what you're going to do with. And, and look, Christian, I want to tell you, I, I don't know. I, I can't say exactly what's happening or, or how you feel, but I promise you that your suffering is not in vain. We, we have a, a sympathetic high priest who, who has came and he suffered and died, he, he experienced suffering that, that had the ultimate meaning. And he is Lord and Savior over your pain and your suffering, and he is preparing you for something. And I promise you that the things that you're going through right now are going to be worth it. They'll be worth it. And I don't know exactly what his plan of redemption for your pain and suffering is right now, but we do know that when Christ, who is your life, appears you'll appear with him in glory. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you're kind of like me, where you're just like, eh, things are, things are fine. Work is work. Things are going okay. And it's just kind of like each day sort of kind of runs into the next and it's like same old thing and, and, and that kind of stuff. And, and you're struggling maybe to find out, like, how does that work? Like, how does... How, does I, how do I find truth and, and meaning in, in my everyday, ordinary life? 
Well, I have a, a quote for you from, from Tim Keller. This is from the book, Every Good Endeavor. He says, everyone will be forgotten. Nothing, will make, nothing we do will make any difference. And all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught. Unless there's a God. If the God of the Bible exists and there is a true reality beneath and behind this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling, can matter forever. This is where I want to bring it back to waffles, okay? Because I told you as I was, I was making the waffles and, and kind of saying, like, what, what is this all about? Like, how do I seek the things that are above here? God, he, he kind of said to me, like, a, a couple things. Like, for one... I can have gratitude, right, for, for what God's given me and for my home and my family. But, but to take it even further, I can, I can have the sense of awe and wonder about what, what God has done. I mean, just, just bear with me for just a second. Think about this. I walked into my kitchen this morning, and there was flour and sugar and butter and eggs and milk and cornstarch, important ingredient, um, and, and none of that stuff, like, I didn't have to mill anything. I didn't have to grow anything. I didn't have to churn anything. Like, it was all there, right? And, like, it all works together perfectly to make this nice, crispy, fluffy, delicious carb sugar vehicle for me and my family to have for breakfast, right? Like, like how much did God have to create and sustain for, like, to, for that to happen, for all that to come together. So, like, if I can, like, if I can recognize Christ's supremacy in making waffles, like, man, every good endeavor, everything we do, whether it's we go to work, we see our friends, we do the, like, all of these things can matter in light of the truth of who Jesus is. See, we can remember that when, when Jesus came down in, in a human form, he spent a lot of his days doing ordinary stuff, right? The God of the universe, whose plan of redemption it included living, doing, regular, ordinary things. I'll leave you with this quote from Tish Harrison Warren from the book Liturgy of the Ordinary. She said, if Christ spent most of his life in quotidian ways. Anybody know what that word quotidian means? Like, I had to look it up. <laughs> it's, it's like a really fancy word that nobody ever uses that means uh, mundane and ordinary. Isn't that funny? Um, leave it to the English language. But. If Christ spent most of his life in quotidian ways, then all of life is brought under his lordship. There is no task too small or too routine to reflect God's glory and worth. But it's in the dailiness of the Christian faith, the making the bed, the doing the dishes, the praying for our enemies, the reading the Bible, the quiet, the small, that God's transformation takes root and grows. We remember the truth that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. He's number one. He's Lord and Savior, and he's our Redeemer. His death, 
reconciling all things to himself. He's redeeming. And we can hold on to that truth so we can guard against the lies as we go. And maybe as we do that, as we behold his glory, we can be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Today we celebrate communion. We gather together as we, we have as, as Christians for, for centuries to remember the truth, the truth of Jesus' death on the cross. But on the night Jesus was betrayed, he, he took bread and he broke it after giving thanks and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup also after having supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the truth of who we are in Christ. And Lord, we just, we pray that as we, we go about and leave today that there's, there's a chance that we'll, we'll believe a lie that will, will, will start to lead us astray. So Lord, we ask that we can guard our hearts and minds in the truth of who Jesus is and who we are in Christ. Lord, I just pray that we can turn our hearts towards you to worship you now and to praise you for the truth that you've showed us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.